From the President's office in the White House in Washington, D.C., we present an address by the President of the United States, Dwight D. Eisenhower. In holding scientific research and discovery in respect, as we should, we must also be alert to the equal and opposite danger that public policy could itself become the captive of a scientific, technological elite. Sunday, February 13th, 2022, and take a moment away from the Super Bowl and the commercials. Hopefully none of you are paying attention. Some important stuff to talk about today. Apologize for the delay to get started there. Uh, just a quick note. It's pretty hilarious how obviously YouTube is well aware of what we're doing with these pirate streams. And I keep sending in little quips in the supposed appeals as if someone's actually reading them. But what's funny is that they're stepping up their game and it's quite clear I had to go through eight channels today to get to the one that's live right now. And we're probably going to kick this one off while we're going live anyway, which we don't care about anymore. As long as somebody catches it, they, one person sees it over on YouTube and jumps over somewhere else to see what we're talking about. Then that was a, a success. TLAB Pirate Streams on YouTube, TLAB Pirate Posts on Twitter right now. Anybody wants to send me their login for Facebook, let's just make it a trifecta. Let's keep going with the Pirate Streams, the Pirate Posts. And to be quite honest, there's a lot of stuff that's been building. I actually wasn't going to get into it today because I wanted to make this a quick one. All the stuff I said I put off yesterday was going to be a, a show I'm going to get into. I wasn't planning on doing a show today. That keeps happening. <laughs> so many important things keep popping up. But something I'm going to talk about probably tomorrow or the next day is how there's a lot of these new TLAV pirate stream or chapters or areas popping up, which makes me really happy to see. Somebody started one in Tennessee, a little TLAV pirate chapter you know, it's the T-Lab chapter of the pirate streams on Twitter. And I just, I love that. I love to see people embracing the concept and do and creating communities within it. That's exactly what we should hope for. But it's just funny to see how much they're afraid of you and what we're doing. Now, on top of that, I wanted to make one last quick note before I jumped into the topic today that you may have noticed yesterday that the lighting was a little different and that there were some background issues. And I just want people to know, because that was more clear than I thought it would be, that uh, because of my dog who is getting older and old age, I'm gonna I'm transitioning to doing this in both my home office as well as here. But I tried to make it look exactly the same at my home office, which is why it looked similar yesterday, just so it's not as such a harsh difference to see here versus the home office the way it used to look. Um, so if you do notice differences or occasionally hear my dog in the background every now and again, I'm at the office today, but just note that's why that's all just so it's not some inconsistency. It's rather just, I'm, I'm actually going to try to get the lighting similar to be quite honest. There's just differences in different rooms and so on. But on that note, there's some really important stuff to get into today that I just, I mean, really took me, I was completely planning on doing other things today. And I saw this video somebody sent me and it dove me down this rabbit hole that I'd already been looking into. And it's just incredibly important to talk about the HIV AIDS connection, which we were poking into yesterday and about the, the history behind it and how there's been a lot of people that have called out the lack of connection to a lot of things and just the outright lies they've been spreading about whether HIV leads to, to AIDS, whether AIDS is something that is in fact caused by something else other than like not an injection in between there, or whether HIV itself is something that was actually there to begin with. Now, all of these things are fair questions. And the, re and the only reason we pretend like they're conspiracy theory is because people in authority, powerful positions have said that. Now, what does that tell you? Think of looking at where we are today. 
How many things they said you weren't supposed to say, now suddenly they're, you know, cloth, how dare you challenge cloth mask? That's just common sense we heard over and over and over. And now, oh, of course we know they don't work, you dumb conspiracy theorist. It's just frustrating to see. And this kind of conversation we're going to get into today is very, very, very valid to not just COVID-19, but everything they've been laying out since uh, even before HIV and AIDS. There's a lot going on. A lot of the same characters tied in that we're going to talk about today is the comparison to a small degree with this video in the beginning between HIV and AIDS and that dynamic and then between what they say is SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19 and that dynamic and looking at the weird correlations between them, the same characters involved and so on. Then we're going to get into a very interesting conversation of why that relates to the next part, which is DARPA's past research, which, as you know, Whitney, myself, and we were way into that right in the beginning. Like, and I, by the way, have been long before COVID-19. It wasn't just something we picked up on. This is something that T-Lab specifically have been focusing on long before COVID-19, and that's the research, the biomedical, bioweapon research wet for, for, I mean, obviously for military purposes in regard to you know, not for defense, which is how they try to frame it, as well as the fact that it's involved with vaccine research. And it's always framed around the military and so on and so on. But now today I'm bringing this back into the mix because of how it's interestingly tied in with the immune system issue that we're seeing today. And now we should know, and we've talked about before, that the military has worked on in the past and we're going to go through it, specifically tailored weapons to do what? What we're seeing today. Now, that doesn't have to mean that what we're seeing today is caused by some accidental release of a bioweapon or by some actual act of a bioweapon or by some coordination of multiple things. Could be though, and that's what I want you to think about, whether or not what we're seeing today is by some connection by actions they've taken before or by some direct action what they're making happen today. Not that we know for sure, but that we should be willing to ask that question based on everything we're going to talk about today. And this is why they hate this show, because we will go through the science the data, the facts, and allow you to think for yourself and ask all those questions they say you're not supposed to be asking because that's what conspiracy theorists do, you know, and overlook the facts apparently. But let's jump into, first of all, what we talked about yesterday. This is, this was the deep dive. And as I said, there was a lot more that could have been a five hour show, but I basically three hours of going through vaccine acquired immune deficiency syndrome, which we're calling VADES which remember AIDS is acquired immune deficiency syndrome. So people, the idea of AIDS is mixed in people's minds with conspiracy theory and all these different narratives, but it's really just an immune deficiency. And that's what we have to understand. It's a specific version of it. Yes. Well, at least that's what they frame it as, but we have to realize why, what, what we're seeing today, whether caused by the injections or whatever else people want to talk about. And I think it's obviously clear that this is in some way being caused by the injections has a very clear, interesting connection to this topic whether before or currently, and then thinking about the weird explosion of this conversation about how they're claiming AIDS is going to explode and HIV is going to explode right up until 2030, weird correlation, even though it was going down from 2020 to 2021. There's no coordination. And we talked about yesterday, the idea of the HIV inserts in what they're claiming is SARS-CoV-2 and why that's very interesting and what that seems to paint a picture of what the manipulation we're going to kind of get into today But then also we're talking about the HIV clamp on the University of Queensland injection from 2020 that they claim was discontinued and it seems to have been discontinued. But then, of course, the new iteration of that exact same injection is now using self-assembling nanoparticles. That's a whole other topic. I don't know why one's better than the other. But then and the point was that that injection was tested, which means that spike protein with the HIV clamp could potentially have shed and spread and cause disease. That could be one thing we're looking at just hypothetically. 
The other thing, of course, is the idea of the 85, the adenovirus vaccines. Now, Johnson & Johnson, Oxford, AstraZeneca, these aren't using 85 specifically, which is one adenovirus particle protein. The point is there's a lot of different kinds. But in this case, we know that 85, or at least plenty of scientists stood up and said, well, back in HIV, we used the 85, and that very clearly caused them to be more susceptible to HIV. So they stood up and said, why are we using it now? Why are we using it in, in, in adenovirus vaccines for coronavirus and using it in places like South Africa, where there's a high HIV prevalence? That doesn't make sense to us, because even Fauci said that was bad back in HIV. Nobody seemed to care. Of course, now they slow, those are rolling back, and the mRNA are more in the focus, but then we have to look into the testing that's going on behind the scenes. And it turns out there's like 11 countries testing currently 85 injections right now. Russia, Pakistan, the United States. Now, whether or not these become prevalent or not, they're using each one of these is like a 40,000 person test. That's hundreds of thousands of people around the world currently taking 85 injections that are, according to the scientists and Fauci from before, increasing their risk of HIV. Now, on top of that, what does that ultimately mean again? Immune deficiency. So is that just, we're just using the term HIV? Were we just using it back then? Is that even what it was? Or are we simply looking at actions by the same people from different times from then till now, causing a similar problem in the people's bodies being labeled something else? These are just simple thoughts that we should be willing to ask today with how much we've seen them fall apart in front of us with their lies, their moving goalposts, everything else. If you'd like to go further than that, here's the show for you to watch. But building on that into today, I want to start off with this incredible video. Somebody sent this to me today. This is posted November 20th, 2015. Now it's called Positively False. I believe this is their title for it. The program that never got shown. It's a good title. But as it says here, Channel 4 News report from 1998, which challenges identification of HIV. Now we're talking isolation here. You're going to find this video to be very relevant to today. I mean, you could literally put this entire conversation and just remove the HIV AIDS points and it would look like they're talking about COVID-19. It's exactly the same, or at least from, from our perspective. And highlights anomalies between different HIV test kits. Uh-oh, false positives? What? Yes, the whole thing. This is exactly like what we're seeing today. It's almost like it's the same agenda. Sort of like we're pivoting back into now, it seems. Below is some of the correspondence relating to the 18-month buildup and the proposed one-hour documentary for Dispatches Channel 4 that was to be transmitted on World AIDS Day 1998. We were given development money to carry out a series of tests together with the uh, Robbins Institute at Surrey University, which showed up to some serious anomalies in the HIV test results from three different commercial test kits. Now, it says they decided to not to not to go ahead with the World AIDS Day special and suggested instead that they make a short report for Channel 4 on that day. Now, ultimately, this got shelved. This ultimately did not end up getting revealed to people. And I think that's very, very, very clear. Now, even back then, now whether or not you agree with this, the point is they went to all the effort to make this happen, interviewed everybody, and these were highly credentialed experts talking about this. And, and when you hear what they have to say, it won't be shocking to you why they pushed it aside. But recognize what that shows you. This is not like we're talking about today, where this is being shoved away because fake news, anti-conspiracy, they're, whatever, they're, they're talking points. These people were These people respected, and they put it away anyway, which means there was an agenda. At least that's how I see it. challenge to the existence of HIV was made public on the first day of the 1998 Geneva World AIDS Conference. 
in the vast session hall three, a team of international scientists presented their conclusions. HIV has never been identified and there's no proof that such a virus exists. Hear that? According to the very well I mean, it's just, that's, that's the, that's right how it starts. Now, what's funny is, I mean, that would never even be allowed into the studio today, right? You're not allowed to challenge that. But the, the point is, these are experts. These are, these are scientists and doctors and experts that are saying, look, we're just having, we have a different opinion and here's what it is. Like it was more acceptable back then, obviously still being suppressed, but today, I mean, it's weird. It's, it's clown world today. Like there is no, anybody, no matter how credentialed, how, what an expert they are on a dime could be the highest regarded person on the planet. And if you say the wrong thing, oh, well, he was a conspiracy theorist and we didn't see it. Oh, really? So what about everything else that you were highly regarded before? It does, it's, it's ridiculous. And we need, we need to see that and how obvious that is. It's subjective. So these people are telling you that they, they believe that there was never such a thing. Not necessarily that it didn't just cause AIDS, but it didn't even exist. First day of the 1998 Geneva World AIDS Conference. In the vast session hall three, a team of international scientists presented their conclusions. HIV has never been identified, and there's no proof that such a virus exists. Which they went on to treat. According to the very well-accepted method for retroviral isolation, HIV has never been isolated. Oh, and we're talking about Koch's postulates, right? The thing that they're trying to dismiss left and right today, because you know what? They haven't met it today either. They claim that HIV antibody tests cannot prove infection and that AIDS is not a sexually transmitted disease caused by a single infectious agent. Every single prediction of the HIV theory has failed. It was first suggested that a retrovirus HIV was, and I quote, the probable cause of AIDS at a US government press conference in 1984. Since then, it's been generally accepted that AIDS is an infectious disease transmitted through blood and sex. So make sure you understand that, first of all. Innuendo, statement, argument, subjective point by the government becomes fact. Right. So it's probable becomes forever accepted fact. Don't miss that. How ridiculous is that? And that's exactly what we're seeing today. Fear now, kind of circumventing that, well, we don't know for sure, but let's just do it because of its safety. And it doesn't even matter. They just, they just run, run right over the top of it. Probable means it didn't prove it. And that didn't matter because there was far more behind the scenes going on here. If, however, as these scientists maintain, AIDS is not an infectious, sexually transmitted disease, then AIDS research has been wrongly directed for 15 years. Or intentionally misdirected because of what they wanted to achieve by using you and your fear to get that done. See how that works? Certainly possible, certainly questionable, especially with what we're seeing take place today. Isolation is necessary to identify any virus. At the Pasteur Institute in Paris, guidelines were arrived at for the isolation of retroviruses, which HIV is said to be. Cell culture products must be spun and same-shape particles banded at a precise density called purifying. This must be confirmed with an electron microscope image. Now, this is what people like Kaufman and Cowan have been pointing at and screaming about from the beginning, and they're absolutely right. That, I mean, there are very clear definitions to these words. Isolation, purification, they have not done that. And they make the same point here in HIV-AIDS in this discussion, that they simply never did it. And, 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 and this is very clear what they say next. They, when they finally look at this stuff and even confirm it later, 15 years later, it's completely over. It's just basically cell debris. They lied and they got caught lying and it's still nothing changed. It's the same thing today. How I mean, yesterday was pretty damn pretty clear to me. 
that they we can see the timeline where the genetic code was sent and everybody started making injections. They never looked back. They never had an isolate and they admitted that even if they did it later, which I still question, I don't believe, the CDC from China said we didn't isolate the virus. When that's the time frame when that happened. And they so 2 days after they got the genetic code, it was already being made into injections. I've shown this 100 times. So are we really pretending that they just went ahead with it, assuming that it would later be isolated and then made that, that their work wouldn't change based on verification that it was real or not? I mean, it's just absurd. Same thing happened then. In Perth, Western Australia, a team of scientists lead the growing ranks of researchers around the world, arguing that what is called HIV, the human immunodeficiency virus, has not been isolated for proper identification by the people who claim to have discovered it. HIV has never been isolated. Its assumption has been postulated only by indirect means. Indirect means like testing for antibody reactions do not satisfy Professor Etienne de Harven, a leading pioneer in the technique for imaging retroviruses with electron microscopes. I'm absolutely dismayed to find out that for about 15 years the essential control of electron microscopy was neglected, completely neglected. And it's only very recently, about two years ago, that two papers came out in which finally electron microscopy was used to verify the presence of virus particles in samples which were for all these 15 years regarded as pure virus. And to my greatest dismay, these pictures were showing practically nothing else but cell debris. That's, I mean, that, this is incredible. I mean, this is exactly why this stuff is they don't want you to see this stuff. This is how the, I mean, the kind of censorship we've been living through for a long time is very clear like this. But the technocratic level we're getting into is going to be exponentially worse. Think about how hard it will be to fight. This won't be exist in that world, right? You're not supposed to see this is the point. What they're telling you right here in the same information, it's not that there's not plenty of people out there and experts and books that have been written that tell you all this stuff, but they make sure that you don't see it. In fact, emerging viruses that I keep referencing which, which was sort of the impetus for a lot of the stuff I'm talking about today, is it one of those books. But the problem is that they dismiss that stuff and they say conspiracy theory. Anybody that says that, well, they're fake news. That's how this goes today. They verifiably said it was pure virus. We knew it. We knew it. It was, it was HIV. We know for sure, just like they said today. 15 years later, they finally actually do the research and, and, and it's very clear that it was basically cell debris, which means, which is exactly what Coffin's been saying, what the rest of them have been saying. That's not purified. It's a jumble. And by, by the way, actually, John Rappaport has been on this from day one, screaming about this. And he's right. But this is just a jumbled soup of genetic stuff. And they just say, here we go. There's there's virus in there somewhere. So we're right. And this, this is exactly what happened then. And I do not think this is a coincidence. I think just like the epidemic that wasn't the, the New York Times article from 2007 about the PCR test and how that was used. They claimed then accidentally. Maybe that was a test run. The point is, nonetheless, whether it was accidental or not. It was a guideline, in my opinion, and they used it again. Whether this was accidental or intentional, I think they're clearly using, like, step by step, the same thing, the same agenda, the same effort. And again, just not be obtuse about it. They just, whoever the people we're talking about, just to, you know, I could pinpoint all sorts of people that I think are playing roles in this and plenty of others that I think are just unknowingly being manipulated, whether they're good people or not. The hierarchy enslaving you, right? The whatever we're talking about, the people that are behind this, whoever you may think that is, just recognize that there are people in powerful authority positions that are actively lying to you about this stuff. That's very clear. 
just I, I I just I know people don't like when you tend when you use the word you know the obtuse they, but you know there is an ultimate discussion to be had about what that means, especially with the coalescing of power, condensing of power around the world government essentially, the World Economic Forum, the UN. The I mean we see this happening right now, the public private partnership of the global governance that's happening right now. Michelle Chavstovsky, professor, is the one that kind of put that thought in my mind, and I think he's absolutely right. Now let's get back to this. This magazine offers support and information for HIV-diagnosed people and publishes the work of scientists critical of the virus AIDS theory. Yeah, and where's that today? <laughs> right, right? Like, I mean, sure, there's probably some fringe post, they'll call it. But, you know, there's not going to be a mainstream magazine that will allow that kind of conversation today. Think, of, think of how much has even changed since then. In October 1997, Continuum published an interview with Professor Luc Montagnier, who first claimed to have discovered HIV. His team had not been able to purify HIV. Well, of course, we looked for it. We saw some particles, but they didn't have the morphology of retroviruses. He later said, I repeat, we did not purify. Very important. Now, yes, this is the person that recently passed away, the person that originally discovered it, essentially. And and in fact, he's a Nobel laureate because of it, as I understand it. But the bottom line is he made it clear. And this is where his skepticism stems from. He did not purify this. And yet everything went from there anyway. So as the as the person from the beginning, you almost maybe feel responsible, right? And whatever it is, it drove him to be quite the contrarian about this. And he, up until the day he died, was was beginning ready to testify about what he thinks is happening today. Of course, he untimely has a uh, you know, just like just like uh, Carrie Mullis kind of situation. Maybe it was natural. Maybe it wasn't. At the end of the day, it's unfortunate that right before it was about to be some bombshell testimony, he ended up passing away. He did not purify it, and neither did anybody else. It was startling that Professor Montaigne decided to acknowledge in his interview with Jamel Tahi and Continuum that as far back as 1983, his team were not able to purify anything that you might call HIV. Despite now, real quick, why that's so important is not because it's not just because no one knew it's because up until that point they have been pretending that was the case that it had been. And now he's coming. That's why it's such a bombshell. He's coming out in this article, pointing back and saying, I, I repeat, I never purified that did not happen. So it was challenging the overall narrative. And that's why this stuff was never allowed to be put out guys. It's very clear that this is undermining the entire premise for what actually happened then. And they're using that same model today. Well, he turned a, a, a Roman effort so who should be surprised that when the same thing was attempted by expert laboratories in Germany and the United States who published their results in the journal Virology, what they found was proteins and cellular debris. Now make sure you didn't miss what he just said there. This is the most important part for that, that section there. That after he said that, on the record, Germany, the United States, they went out to, to, to basically prove him wrong. And guess what? Proved him right and documented it, that they found cell debris. What happened then? They admitted they were wrong and everything changed and they stopped giving in. Nope. <laughs> the narrative kept going forward and this got shelved. Just like always happens. Tanya decided to acknowledge in his interview with Jamel Tahi and continue that as far back as he turned a, a, a Roman effort. So who should be surprised that when the same thing was attempted by expert laboratories in Germany and the United States who published their results in the journal Virology, what they found was proteins and cellular debris. If there is such a thing as an AIDS-causing retrovirus, then its unique body parts, that is its proteins, should only be found in HIV-positive individuals and individuals who have AIDS. But this is not the case. 
All the principal HIV proteins have been found in all manner of cells from healthy human beings who are HIV negative. Did you hear that? That's exactly what people are talking about today. So if you're fine, this, this is the example of which highly suggests, or I mean, obviously they found when they did the research that it was just cell debris and different protein. Well, it was not, it was a jumbled up soup of, of genetic garbage. And so now when you're testing, you're finding it in, in normal people, healthy things. And then what happens then when you test people and you go, oh, you've got it. Do they? Or are you testing and finding something that was in that mix that you're finding in normal people? Or you, there's a lot of ways you can see how this is manipulated, but it's the exact same argument that people like John Rappaport have been making about what's going on today. I don't know. This is so incredibly profound about where we are right now. That's what he's telling you. You found it. Every, and then you realize that the testing leads to the treatment, which leads to the problem, if that's what you believe is happening. So it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So can these commonly occurring protein markers ever prove the presence of HIV? There is no way to test for HIV. This is because all the tests are based on indirect markers. Right, same argument people make today about COVID-19, right? That they were testing for, how, how can we possibly test for something if we've never actually isolated and said, this is the thing? You will get full, and then shocker, we have a ridiculously high level of false positives, which I actually think is entirely intentional. It's, it's, this is becoming impossible to miss none of which has been validated by proving that the markers are positive only when the virus is present. The only type of test routinely used in England and Wales is called an ELISA antibody test. It reacts if a person's blood has enough antibodies that bind with a set of test kit proteins. Well, that's very revealing. Okay, so remember we talked about this yesterday, right? So, and, and Dr. Bailey, I recommend you watch your video again in depth, talks about how the University of Queensland injection with the HIV clamp caused people to produce HIV antibodies, which I promise you is being re-engineered. Like right now that's being, that's be, being driven into the mRNA HIV injection. But the point is that's not supposed to be the way that worked out. And they shoveled it and they said, well, they caused false positives. Well, no, that's the half the truth, isn't it? It caused false positives because the only test you have for HIV is to test for antibodies, which doesn't even mean you have HIV. You have to understand that. That's why Dr. Bailey made that point so clear. That their, their test, that basically by their own test and definition of HIV, people that are producing the antibodies have HIV, but that's not the case that's just the definition they gave because that's the only test they could use. You see how subjective and self-serving that is? Now, at the same time, you're making that thing happen back then. Now, then you have to ask, was that just antibodies or was there something else? And the same thing further to today. You know, it, it, these are up in the air, in my opinion. But they're saying that that's the only test they have. Now, think of the interesting correlation to where we're dealing with today and how that ends up being something that they use to justify the treatment for COVID, which ends up driving in the problem. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy, in my opinion, that leads to the very thing that they then claim is the problem they tried to stop. Proteins still marketed as belonging only to HIV. If it reacts, the color density changes. These changes are a matter of degree, high or low, not yes or no. Peter Nichols is a 25-year-old gay man. He volunteered to take part in a research project coordinated for Channel 4. His blood was tested on three HIV test kits commonly used by laboratories. Oh, and don't forget, I just remembered this. Remember, the, remember what they're telling you? Their new PrEP HIV drug, the way it's supposed to be used? You take it before you get sick and you take it every day. Yeah, think about that. I wonder how that's going to work out. 
The blood samples were run through the kits twice by London University Medical School under different code numbers. <laughs> this just makes me laugh. This person just jumps in the chat and says, HIV's never been proven to exist. COVID's never been proven to exist. Hey, pay attention, bud. You're, you're missing the show, which is what we're saying. <laughs> Each time, Peter's blood tested positive. But several weeks later, Peter tested negative at St. Mary's Hospital, West London, and again negative at the Royal Free in North London. Okay, so this is interesting. So this kid gets tested positive, then gets test negative. Same thing we're seeing today. And then just goes and gets another test and gets another negative and goes, okay, I'm negative. It, it's just, it's, it's exactly what we're seeing today with PCR and the manipulation they're in. And, and that could stem from the sloppy way that the PCR test is being applied where it shouldn't, right? But it could also be more than that. And it could be like we're seeing today based on the fact that it's never isolated and that you're jumbling. Th- like the guy said earlier in the point there, that you're, you're finding these things in people that are healthy and, and that have no connection to this. That's, I think, and whether that's intentional or just cl- or sloppy is you know up for you to decide, but it leads in the same direction, doesn't it? How did he feel about these conflicting results? Confused in a way. Obviously glad that now, um, having received two sets of negative results, I'm obviously fairly confident that I'm HIV negative now. Um, <laughs> why? But confused as to why I would... Not that I'm suggesting it. It's just funny that, you know, one positive, two negatives, why would you be fairly confident? <laughs> it, it, like, you just assume the, the positive must have been the one-off. Like, it's just so strange the way we take at face value what they tell us you're supposed to think. It's, it's just, it never goes away. People want to believe that these people want your best interest or have your best interest in heart. Receive a positive result in the first place from the experiment that we did. Um, and how many other false positive results are there floating around that people don't know about? Right. How many false positives are happening that we aren't addressing? Right. How many people were told they had HIV that didn't, in fact, have it? And how many people then got treatment for it that didn't need it? And then that caused all sorts of problems that then got labeled as whatever else you want to name it. Maybe it doesn't get connected to it. Maybe it gets called something else. Maybe it causes a heart attack. And we don't even think about these things today or back then. Today, it's become nobody can ignore it, even though they really try to. That this is causing all sorts of things to explode. And statistically speaking, you can't ignore this. Right, whether you're talking about all-cause mortality or whether you're causing, you know, age, it's everything, mental issues. I mean, it's through the roof. Now, the only thing they try to pretend is, oh well, you know, COVID and anxiety and whatever. And it's, it's just becoming embarrassing to watch how the one clear difference has been this mass experimental genetic therapy administration across the population, and everyone's having the same weird explosions and the same interesting problems. And we act like, oh, you know, just they're anxious and the lockdowns or whatever. Except the lockdowns were safe and we should do it again. But, you know, all over the place. Peter had sufficient concentration of antibodies to turn some of the tests positive. But does this mean he has a deadly virus? See, so he had antibodies in his body, which turned the test positive. Okay, so how did he get antibodies if he didn't have HIV? Oops. You see what I mean? It doesn't matter, though. It just well, take, take your two negatives and go on. The point is that this did something to him. This is what we're seeing today with the antibodies or just with the adenovirus injections that create the susceptibility for it, which is basically just what we're seeing with the injections today, lowering your immune system, dysregulating your immune system, immune autodeficiency or immune dysregulation. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could look at this. Immune suppression. I mean, it's it, it, to me, it kind of feels like we're in the same wheelhouse, and it's just giving we're just giving it names. We're watching people give us treatments that are hurting your body. Whether we're talking about antibody dependent enhancement, which is what Luke Montagnier seemed to be focused on, or however else you want to frame it, 
to just blame it on something that they clearly have not proven is what they say it was and see the same thing have happened before with the same arguments being made with the same people undermining the validity of it? Come on. At some point, we have to realize that we're being manipulated. There are already 62 known conditions which can lead to a positive result on an HIV test. Do you hear that too? 62 different things that could cause an HIV test to cause positive. Right. So that, that testing seems really sound. But today, all of a sudden, the, UK, the, the University of Queensland injection causes false positives. Oh my God, the whole thing, shut it down. We can't allow that. We can't allow 63 different things to cause problems for the testing. Only 62 is acceptable. <laughs> that's Seriously, their argument was that's why I can't allow that. Think of how ridiculous that is. These include flu and flu vaccines, arthritis, hepatitis B vaccine, lupus, candidiasis, malaria, TB, and leprosy. Sorry, I keep stopping it so much right now, but these are great points. So they just told you the flu vaccine. So, and again, I apologize that the volume is low. I didn't expect it to be that low on here, but the flu vaccine. So they're telling you that people who take a flu vaccine could get a false positive for HIV. Did they know that? I promise you that wasn't a public discussion until this talked about it. They were I, just like today. They're saying, get your flu shot. Get alongside this. It'll be better. Make you safe. But that's not true. Just like it's not true today. They never test these things next to each other. And in fact, it's pretty clearly just like, I mean, don't forget the Pentagon study from the beginning of this that RFK Jr. talked about, that we talked about. The idea that the Pentagon study before this started tested coronaviruses in general in regard to the flu shot and found that it the flu shot increased your risk of coronavirus infections. All whether it's common cold or whatever else, this is before COVID nineteen. On top of that, it found that it just increased your general risk of infection, thirty six percent, in fact. And yet they want you to take that shot alongside the injection for COVID, even though they haven't tested two for safety issues. Yeah, that doesn't sound like they are having your safety in mind, does it? Sounds like they almost want problems to happen. So in this case, we're seeing the same thing: flu shot increases the HIV positives, and they were given the flu shot at that same time. Problem, reaction, solution, or rather self-serving agenda. What is called AIDS is made up of 29 diseases, all of which existed long before the AIDS eras. These diseases involve fungal, mycobacterial, and other infection producing antibodies which could react with the so-called HIV protein Says Dr. Philip Mortimer, head of the UK Virus Reference Laboratory, which sets HIV testing guidelines. There can be misleading cross-reactions. It may be impossible to relate an antibody response specifically to HIV infection. Wow. It may be impossible to relate an antibody response specifically to that infection. Didn't stop them from trying like hell, didn't it? Or did it? And don't forget, when you give somebody something that creates antibodies for something that you don't need especially when you don't have a test that proves that's even what you're making them for, what can that do? Cause lots of problems. They're trying to train the body's immune system to target the right part of the virus because getting it wrong can be dangerous. We know that historically with coronaviruses that if you do vaccinate with the wrong kind of vaccine, for instance in domestic cats who have a similar viral infection, that you can make the disease more severe. Yeah, and we've seen him say that. We've seen Ryan Cole say that. We even saw Dr. Fauci say that with his interview with with Meta back on 2020, right? Telling you that can happen, and then once it starts to happen, acting like it's a conspiracy theory, because that's what honest people do, right? Well, here we are. Impossible to relate, and that's why I think not only were these things causing people to have all sorts of problems like antibody-dependent enhancement, I think all of this was just lumped into a problem called AIDS. That's what I think. 
There's plenty of examples to show that this is clearly undermined, at the very least, by plenty of experts. And then you can ask, which is what I got into yesterday, how then could this thing possibly spread, which some people say, seem to think it did? Well, I, I posit the simple idea that we are watching, at least especially we're talking about today, and it's probably the similar thing we're dealing with back then, that the spike protein itself can spread. Now, I argue that the same kind of concept was probably capable then or possible then, or maybe even the idea that we're talking about something that wasn't spreading like a virus rampantly through the population, but was simply something that was being given to them for the treatment. You see, there's two different ways you can look at that. I'm not pretending I know for sure. I don't think anybody does, other than people that are lying to us. But just like Denny Rancourt would argue today, it's clear that you could make these things happen with nothing other than narrative and conflating other manipulative statistics and, and metrics. But you could also argue that there's something that they would insert to add to that point. I don't know why we would doubt that, but it's up to you to come to your own conclusions. Fiction. One of the world's leading manufacturers of the ELISA design of test says in its 1997 literature... ELISA testing alone cannot be used for diagnosing AIDS, even if it suggests a high probability that the antibody to HIV is present. Ah, what does that sound like? You know, even though they did, though, right? So you can't do this, but we're going to do it anyway, just like we did today. And they said the same thing. Oh, look at that. So what about Omicron, right? Oh, it's okay. We'll just, we'll just say when we don't get this S gene, we'll just pretend that's Omicron, which moments ago we were calling false. Okay. <laughs> that's self-serving, right? Same idea. Well, it's a high, high it's, it's highly probable that it's present when you see this thing. So let's use that to go on. No, that's an easily manipulatable subjective standing point, which is what they love. If it's not definitively proven, you don't, they, they, all they do just like then is they pretend we're in an emergency. We have to do what we can in the moment. That's how they get you. Most people who test positive remain well. Indeed, antibodies are usually a sign of protection against illness. Okay. And again, the point is maybe because most of them didn't have anything. So what is causing what is described as AIDS? Well, for 15 years, AIDS has been linked with certain risks, like intravenous drug use, long-term recreational drug use, multiple sexual partners, malnutrition, and certain clinical risks involving the transfusion of blood products. Even to this day, same argument. When the body is at risk... A Despite Fauci suggesting more than once that this could spread by being around people, which is obviously what started all the don't get near people or don't spit on people or you're going to get AIDS transmitted... Yeah, right. That, that's where that all came from. And he, and he was wrong then, like he's wrong now, or intentionally so. This is called oxidative stress can escalate. Cells struggle for energy, and the immune system can be seriously weakened. People who suffer from the illnesses grouped as AIDS show severe oxidative stress. The oxidative stress theory has remained true to all its predictions. For example, AIDS patients, HIV AIDS patients, are known to be oxidized. The degree of oxidation determines the rate of progression to AIDS, and antioxidants are able to curb this progression. There is a most urgent need. For example, AIDS patients, HIV AIDS patients, are known to be oxidized. The degree of oxidation determines the rate of progression to AIDS, and antioxidants are able to curb this progression. Simple antioxidants. <laughs> Think about that. Most urgent need to redirect research funding. Funds should go to laboratories working on other IDs totally independent from HIV and no longer restricted to laboratories working on a hypothesis which has never been proven. Right. I suppose... And think about that today with the funding and the way that this continues to go forward. 
right? Instead of think, instead of like he's talking about working on things that we know work on, you know, early treatments and other things that are proven to have an effect. No, no, no. We're dumping money into the experimental direction we want to go in and acting like that's in your best interest. Speaking as if I'm them. Analysis uh, of what's going on shows uh, the massive power of vested interest, but the change is happening. The change has got to happen. If there's no evidence of a virus, we can't go on living in this make-believe world. And yet we did, right? That's why this was never allowed to see the light of day. And these are experts, guys. These are highly credentialed medical scientific experts. But of course, today they'd be called fake news, anti-science conspiracy theorists because they dare to challenge the narrative. You know how this goes, right? Same old, same old. But the point is, and by the way, it's clearly going to be longer than an hour show. I didn't expect that to take as long as it did. But there's so much in there. There's so much in there. Right. Actually, someone just seems to reference. That's a great AIDS. AIDS Inc. is a great. It's actually a book to read. And Mikovitz talked about a lot of this. There's referencing John Rappaport's book. John Rappaport is somebody I haven't mentioned a lot late recently, <clears throat> but I've been following his work for a long time. He, he's been I mean, he, he can he has some different perspectives than me, but I think he just really, really on that topic and plenty. of. I mean, I, I respect his work. I always have as much as plenty of people try to frame as a little bit out there. I think today <laughs> being out there is a little more correct than it's ever been. But it's interesting to see how relevant this is to where we are now. Now, to try to wrap, to there's a bunch more to go through, as you can see from the tab, but I don't think it should take too long to make this kind of clear point. That was the main bulk of it right there. Now, going through chronologically to, to a majority of the degree here, we're going to go through, and this is starting in 2001. Now, I want us to think about the immune system side of this. What are we watching happen right now? Whether you want to discuss VADES, HIV, AIDS, immune suppression, you know, immune dysregulation, however you want to look at this. And I know they're not the same thing exactly, but we're talking about similar things and whether those are just ter different terms that people apply subjectively when they see things that, that align with or affect specifically the immune system. But I want us to think about historically whether the government and how the government has been tailoring their research with DARPA and elsewhere to specifically affect the immune system. And then ask yourself whether that was something that was happening, whether that was the research then or the testing phase or however you want to look at it during the HIV AIDS discussion. Maybe that was what was happening and it was labeled AIDS. Or maybe that's happening today. In any case, I want you to ask you to recognize that this is a valid concern based on exactly, and I mean exactly, what they were working on achieving. Now, this is 2001, November 7th, New Scientist. <clears throat> immune system booster could combat bioweapons. Now, of course, the important part as, as we get into the insect allies part of this is that you be, it's very clear from any, from any level of honest, subjective, or excuse me, honest, objective experts around the world that anything DARPA is working on, anything the military's work, anything in this vein can be used as either a weapon or defense. And in most cases, let's not forget how the U.S. government and the Israeli government and most of their allies frame defense is pretty offensive today, right? We're defending ourselves by attacking you before you can do anything. Defense. So let's even think, even in defense, it's somewhere pretty obviously tends to be used in a negative way. But so when you're talking about an, a booster to combat bioweapons, you can just see that being turned in the reverse and used as a negative and offensive way. But it says it could soon be possible to temporarily diseases, including anthrax. Of course, anthrax was the big, I mean, even, even the beginning of COVID, there was this weird kind of anthrax talk and smallpox and right. But anthrax was the big one discussed back in, you know, the 9-11 era, which was anthrax and the, and the false flag therein was, which was used to drive in the Patriot Acts. We've talked about all this. But what's interesting to me is that they're focusing on 
manipulating the body to boost your immune system. And they're using the same kind of technology we're talking about. So right even in there, let's make it clear that if you're doing something that could boost it, you could take the same action and go the other direction. And do not pretend that they don't think about that. So we're going to boost our guys and we're going to dysregulate those ones, the guys over there on the bad guy side, or suppress it, or create a syndrome, you know, however you want to frame it. Same idea. This could help protect travelers and people undergoing surgery as well as workers or soldiers at risk from bioweapons. Now it says, unpublished work by Dennis Klinman of the FDA shows that immunization with CPG sequences can protect mice from anthrax. So they, they, they manipulate your genetic, your makeup, and, and, but you'll see they say it's only temporary, just like we're talking about today, which we clearly isn't. <laughs> and that is supposed to protect you for that moment against this thing. Seems very relevant to where we're going with this. Now, others have shown that CPGs completely protect mice from potential bioweapons like Ebola, Listeria, Tularemia. Now, it says, quote, I am convinced that these things are almost ready for prime time, says Robert Setter of the NIH, who is working on CPGs in mice. Interesting. That was 2001. He said this was ready for prime time. We're ready. He cautions that, quote, we'll have to go with this carefully in people. Okay, so let's not pretend they're not talking about people. And let's not pretend like they weren't chomping at the bit to get this rolling in people. We're ready to go prime time, right? 2001. Hmm. So what happened? Oh, no, this conversation gets real quiet as they start to roll into other things. But it says, however, CPGs have already been tested on people for different reasons. Oh, interesting. So even before that, they've already been tested on people. Companies such as Coley Pharmaceuticals of Massachusetts have been trying to use CPGs as adjuvants. Not that that in of itself necessarily is a big deal, but substances added to vaccines to boost the immune response. It says, but the company's chief scientific officer, Arthur Krieg, has said in the past that CPG DNA, quote, may be a profoundly effective way to activate the body's natural immune defenses to provide a broad spectrum protection against biowarfare. Okay, so you see where their mind's at. Of course, talking about inserting something not natural and pretending that the body's natural immune defense is ridiculous. <laughs> That's not natural, even remotely, because you're doing something unnatural to trigger a response. But the point is they're talking about using genetic manipulation to cause your immune system to take action. That's all I'm trying to say, and that's very clear, which could go negative or positive depending on how they turn the switch or the dial, I guess. So going to 2017, this is 2001, we're jumping all the way to 2017, The Guardian. U.S. military agency invests $100 million in genetic extinction technologies. We've talked about CRISPR, right? Now, this is weird to me how there was a time we were really focused on all this and talking about that angle of it back here. And it weirdly kind of shifted into like mosquitoes and genetically modified bugs and how we were going to use that, which by the way, don't forget, can achieve the same end. And then there's even a middle entity, right? Well, it wasn't, you just got bit by a mosquito that caused malaria. And that's what happened. Oh, we, we, how could you ever prove that it was something that was created? Right? So this is interesting to me. 2017, technology could be used to wipe out malaria carrying mosquitoes or other pests, but United Nations experts say fears over possible military uses and unintended consequences strengthen case for a ban, which didn't happen, by the way. So what they might be secretly doing with this and what they might accidentally stumble into. Great. So we're concerned about that, but it didn't stop it from happening. A U.S. military agency is investing $100 million in genetic extinction technologies. Don't miss what that is. We're talking about genetic technologies that could hone in on specific genetic sequences, genetic markers, and ex cause them to go extinct. That can be seen as a as a ethnic bioweapon, 
which things like Israelis, the Israeli government has been looking to create for a long time. That's verifiable. Or aiming at an enemy country or however you want to look at this. This is a very alarming reality just because they frame it as a, a good thing. I don't even know how you can look at it that way. But it says it could wipe out malarial mosquitoes, invasive rodents, or other species. Emails released under the Freedom of Information Real Show. So they didn't even want people to know about this. The document suggests that the U.S.'s secretive DARPA agency, or rather DARPA, which includes agency, has become the world's largest funder of gene drive research. Of course, you're going to see the clear DARPA connection through all of this, going, even, you know, going back to this point too. Right? This is this is DARPA research we're talking about. Gene drive research and will raise tensions ahead of the UN expert committee meeting in Montreal beginning on Tuesday, back in 2017. The UN Convention on Biological Diversity is debating whether to impose a moratorium on the gene research next year, and several southern countries fear a possible military application. Understand this. This is the, the, the international community going, we see what you're doing, U.S. government. We see this, and plenty other people have stood up and said, we're concerned about this. Because this is just what the framing of the mainstream article is, but we're going to go over the insect allies part of this. A lot of people, including experts, even from when the U.S., were going, guys, we see what this is. This is very clearly a bioweapon application, and you're framing it as a good thing. This is what the, the, the U.N. literally had a meeting about whether they should put a moratorium on what they were doing because of how many people were concerned about where this would end up. Of course, they didn't win. They didn't succeed. <laughs> now look where we are. The use of genetic extinction technology and bioweapons is the stuff of nightmares, but known research, known research is focused entirely on pest control and eradication. Right. Is that now, now is that because they want to just get rid of these pesky bugs or because that's the way that they can hide their technology behind something they frame as for your best interest? Sort of like, no, 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 we're just making vaccines. We're not making bioweapons. We're making vaccines to protect you after we make the bioweapon. <laughs> right. Really makes sense, doesn't it? Because we're going we're gonna to create something dangerous that nobody else has and then make a vaccine for it under the, the one in a million possibility that someone else stumbles into making the exact same bioweapon just for you. <laughs> in the meantime, we're going to be using this bioweapon secretly everywhere. You know, that, that, it's absurd to pretend that that even remotely makes sense. The only thing they've ever said that could maybe make sense would be to try to... It, it, look, their argument of ever making something more virulent to do it to protect you is just dangerous. And that's been shown by how many times these things have leaked out of these BSL-4 labs. One leak every seven days for a three years straight was the argument from... That came directly from Fort Detrick. That, that, we're talking about Ebola. We're talking about all sorts of things. They work on coronaviruses there. Remember the outbreak around all this, the weird vaping, that all started right around Fort Detrick, right before the military games and all the discussions there. Not that we could prove, but the point is that's a relevant discussion. There's a lot of weird stuff that comes from these labs. Now, this says the use of genetic extinction technology in bioweapons is stuff of nightmares. Cutting edge gene editing tools, such as CRISPR, work by using a synthetic ribonucleic acid or RNA to cut into DNA strands and then insert, alter, or remove targeted traits. That's very relevant to where we are today. These might, for example, distort the sex ratio of mosquitoes to effectively wipe out malarial populations. Of course, for those that are very concerned, and rightly so, about the eugenics push to all of this, should be really concerned about what might be happening today. Quote, my main worry, he added, is that we do something irreversible to the environment despite our good intentions, which that's a very self, I mean, that is a... Uh, to assume it's for good intentions is just naive to me before we fully appreciate the way that this technology will work. Yeah, it seems like a very logical thing to say that they completely ignored and went ahead anyway. 
Gene Drive Research has been pioneered by none other than Imperial College London professor Andrea Cristanti, who confirmed that he has high well, he has been hired by DARPA on the $2.5 million contract to identify and disable such drives. Don't miss the connection between the very same players throughout this whole thing. Now, 2017, going forward to 2018, May 2018. This is a now here's the interesting part for me. So over here we're talking about Genetic extinction technology. Back here, we were talking about specifically immune system-focused issues to, to combat bioweapons, but nonetheless, the same idea. Now, what's weird to me is now 2018, this is how the framing is. Now, understand, this is the same extension of the same work. Dialing up the body's defenses against public health and national security threats. It's an interesting framing. Of course, it's always about the military alone, but yet they're always, I mean, you can see how this very quickly becomes something that's needed for you to take to keep everybody safe, which is how they frame it. It's called prepare. Prepare aims to develop new class, develop new class of generalizable medical countermeasures that safely and temporarily tune activity of protective genes. Right. So just this is the same thing. We're talking about something that manipulates your genetic makeup to, they say, temporarily produce something in your body genetically that fights off what you're dealing with in real time. That is alarming. And that's back in 2018. Now it says. The program will focus on four key health challenges as proofs of concept for what DARPA ultimately envisions as a generalizable platform. Don't miss the stuff. This is the, the way that they were already planning this, guys. The platforms. That's not... We, don't be... The idea that we didn't even know about this concept until into COVID-19, like we people like us that were talking about their plug-and-play platform were at... They're all, you're a conspiracy theorist. No, it's right there on their damn website. People that were saying that were too ignorant to look. Here we are back in 2018 where they're doing the same thing, a generalizable platform that can be readily adapted to emerging public health and national security threats. What does that mean? It's a computer screen genetic concept where they can pump in new genetic code and pump out something new within days, hours. Without testing, without safety, yes, all of that. Just because they pretend that they've already fleshed out the platform. Well, what are the threats they're talking about? We'll look at the first one, influenza viral infection. Well, they also go on to say opioid overdose, all sorts of other things, poisoning, rampant radiation. But of course, we're talking about doing something that can alter your genetic makeup to stop the viral infection that they say is on the way. Each of these four threats, they say, are major health concerns that would benefit from disruptive approaches. Seasonal flu vaccines, for example, of course, they focus on that one, are limited in that they try to hit a perpetually moving target. So circulating flu strains are often mismatched with vaccine strains. Oh, really? Isn't that funny how they pretend we're not supposed to know that right now? You're fake news. Flu vaccines are really effective, they say, every time, except that's very rarely the truth, as we always find out after the fact. But in the midst, they call you a conspiracy theorist for arguing that it might be 5% effective because they're giving you the same damn strain that they made from before. It's not even what's happening today. Isn't that relevant to COVID-19? It should because it makes antibodies that do not help you. Which does what, guys? Hurt you. Hurts your body. Creates antibody-dependent enhancement, or it can, is the, is the point. Isn't that ridiculous? And we know this, though. We've been telling this for a long time. The WHO called this out, calling out the idea that they were conflating flu with pneumonia, which was the predominant issue, not even flu alone. And, of course, that was back then where they called it out, and now those people don't work for the WHO anymore, and nobody talks about it. Programmable mod- modulation of common viral genome sequences could potentially neutralize many more circulating viral strains simultaneously to keep up with moving targets. So we're going to make a platform that could just give you something that makes you, you know, take every day and you'll be fighting off. This is the idea, genetic manipulation 
to remove the risk inherently that being human presents. Combining the strategy with, strategy with a temporary boost to host protection genes could change how we think about antivirals. This is exactly what's being pushed today under a different guise. This is really interesting to me. Now, I'll, I'm going to grab this really quickly since I mentioned that I'm not going to go into it today, but in case people want to check it out. Oh, that's what I did last time. It's an important read for those that haven't seen it. Just to recognize how the WHO was calling this out back in 2007. Health is more than influenza. The, the culture of fear and the lies. It's very important. Now, going to the next one. And this is, this is an extension of the same report. This one is from 2018, Dialing Up the Wise Defenses. Here's another report from also DARPA so talking about what that actually is. Prepare, right? What The acronym is preemptive, and this is important. This is like the medical pre-crime idea, preemptive expression of proactive allies and, and allies and response elements. Now, here's the one point I wanted to read. Prepare program aims to develop a new approach by identifying innate host genetic defenses against threats and developing novel MCMs or medical countermeasures that can quickly activate and modulate these genes to boost protection without altering underlying genetic code. Which, by the way, is what they pretend is happening today, which has already been shown by nature and science and plenty of other highly regarded scientific platforms to be not true. But it says the programmable gene modulating uh, medical countermeasures DARPA envisions are intended to provide timely and robust protection against a broad range of threats. Now, does that sound like something that they're giving you in the midst of a problem or something they're giving you to just be safe against whatever may come your way? That is how this works. It's an adaptable, broad application. That's what they're doing with the injection today. Everybody should take it. Well, I'm not even sick. Doesn't matter. Everybody should take it, even though there's problems that we won't talk about. This is the extension of the same thing. Now, here is 2018, June 19th. From the, Na the National Library of Medicine, Biodefense in the Age of Synthetic Biology. Getting real close to the beginning of COVID-19. Assessment of concerns related to bioweapons that alter the human host. Now, here's the important part about this, guys. There were plenty of people, whether we're talking about all the way back then, or whether we're talking about the, extension, the extinction genetic technology, genetic extinction technology, or as we get into the insect allies. People were very aware that what they were doing could just as easily be just a, a, a flick of the switch could be turned. I mean, it doesn't even need, just, it doesn't even need to be a flick of the switch. Just used differently is a bioweapon. And they knew this. And this is what this is largely looking at is what the, what the work is happening in the world today, predominantly by what by in the U.S., about how they're using these things to create focused weapons. Now, they go through a lot of different points, human micro microbiome. They go through um, and they go through each one and whether it's a mid, medium level, high threat. It's really interesting discussion. They go through the immune system, which is our, my focal point today. They also talk about modifying the human genome and how that can be used as a weapon. And it's really interesting. The main focal point for me, as we've talked about, is modifying the human immune system, which is exactly what they're discussing here and how they're applying it with all of their technology. And you can see here how this is applied and the concern people have about how this could be used against you. Even if you want to pretend it was with the intention of helping you and it went awry, which I don't believe. Human immunity is the bulwark for protection against infectious disease. I highlighted that because that's different than what we hear today. It's all about vaccinations, right? The point is it's always been your natural situation, your natural immune system. These examples suggest that it may be feasible to develop a bioweapon capable of manipulating or, quote, engineering the immune response. 
several potential forms of such a bioweapon were considered. Engineering, now these, these are the different forms that it could take. Engineering immunodeficiency. This is the one that I find to be the most relevant to what we're dealing with right now. Engineering immunodeficiency, because that's what we're talking about in regard to VADES and AIDS. Human immunodeficiency disorder or human, or excuse me, human, or uh, what's the, what AIDS would be acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. Now it says manipulating a target population to have decreased immunity could increase the impact of a biological attack, right? So you could look at it two ways. This could either be something that is a, 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 a the first part of a weapon that decreases immunity before they release something else, or something that just creates a crippling immunodeficiency, which we're seeing take place today, where people are struggling. They can't I mean this. They're they're sickly, and that would that would definitely be something the military would want to take advantage of. So let's be clear. First of all, this is already in the works. They've already worked on it. They're just framing it as something that could improve the immune system. Same point. The goal could be pursued either by manipulating a pathogen to simultaneously reduce immunity and cause disease, which is what I think is happening, which by the way, this is very interesting to me. Jackson et al. 2001, the timing, by the way, of 2001, talking about anthrax and 9-11. You click on this link and it takes you nowhere. In fact, it takes you right back to this page. At first I thought, okay, well, maybe there's just a link at the bottom. A lot of times that happens when you click the link, you have to go to the bottom to click it, but no, there's nothing. I thought, okay, well, that's weird because this is an old article from 2018. So they could have changed it by now that I just said, okay, I'll just look it up. Looked up Jackson et al, 2001. And guess what? There's nothing, nothing even remotely connected to bioweapons, to anything we're talking about. This is talking about overfishing and coastal collapse. What? Isn't that weird? This is clearly citing this in regard to specifically pursuing a weapon that can simultaneously decrease immunity and cause disease, and yet it's nowhere to be found. That is very interesting to me. Now, if you find it, by the way, I mean, you can see these are all fish, weirdly all fish connected. But if you find something, please send it to me because I could have missed it. But I find it, whether you, it's the point that it's no longer linked in there, that says a lot to me. That's an editorial decision. But the point being, that's an easy thing to realize that they could create a weapon that could simultaneously do that. <clears throat> Maybe that's what's happening. Now, agents used to cause immunodeficiency like we're seeing today could be pathogens, e.g. the insidious spread of HIV. Hmm, interesting connection. It is also possible that a disease agent could be tailored to the immune state of a population, either by engineering the agent to avoid extant adaptive or innate immune barriers or by actually taking advantage of those barriers. Okay, that's a, right there is very interesting. Just make sure we understand how possible and how real world this is and is right now. They're capable of this today, have been back then. Now we can talk about engineering hyperactivity. Now it says the flip side of engineering immune deficiencies would be to attempt to cause immune hyperactivity. Now that could go two ways. That could You could argue that could be something, I guess hyperactivity is clear, but you could make this argument that they were trying to improve immune systems, which is basic, this is exactly... I mean, look, even from the improving it side, you could argue it could be used as a bioweapon, just like they're talking about here, because hyperactivity is a negative thing, ultimately, because we're, that's when we get into the idea of producing too many antibodies and what that can cause. And that's what they talk about right here. Both pathogens and chemicals have been demonstrated to create a cytokine storm. That's also relevant to COVID-19, a dangerous state that results from a positive feedback loop in the immune response, which is what we've already seen people that have their, their immune system thrown out of whack by these injections. It may be possible to engineer an agent to purposefully trigger such a cascade. For example, 
Some have suggested that the introduction of anthrax, lethal toxin, into a more benign disease vector could trigger a cytokine storm. Similarly, the fact that there are already widespread responses in the human population to a limited number of well-known allergens may provide a means of engineering biological threats that would trigger life-threatening IgE-mediated immune responses. How interesting is that? There's already widespread responses in the population of allergens. So if you use that, engineer a threat that would trigger life-threatening mediated immune responses, then you would never know. The development and testing of, and by the way, what, look, oh, look at that, COVID-19, right? That's just, not, that's just a hypothetical point. But if, they, if this is something that's that possible, that they've already been working on for decades, that you could just simply take a well-known allergen, manipulate it to engineer biological threats from that that would trigger the immune issue that then gets called HIV AIDS or AIDS or whatever or whatever we're calling it today on their side of it. And obviously that's not what it is. And it gets couched as a problem that's caused by what they say it's caused by. And they're the ones creating that problem and framing it and continuing forward. Treatment, testing, experimentation, however you want to look at it. For those that all hear that kind of theorizing and go, oh, conspiracy theory, because they're un- incapable today of stepping outside the narrative and thinking and asking questions that are ra- valid. The reality is all of this stuff is just hypothetical, but these are valid questions. You're looking at scientific research, peer-reviewed. The development and testing of new immunotherapies could also provide a roadmap for potentially engineering threats. For example, actors could learn from clinical studies in which anti-CD28 antibodies caused life-threatening cytokine storms. That literally could be what we're talking about. Now, uh, yeah, uh, oh, there's, yeah, lastly, one more. Engineering autoimmunity. Natural autoimmune diseases cause significant disability and death. Now, here's a point to make right out of the gate, by the way. The idea of autoimmunity is something that has just exploded in the population since the increased, rapid increase of injections. Correlation, not always causation, but it's definitely relevant. And we should ask the question as they aggressively call you crazy for asking that question, despite how clearly correlated it is. Same with everything else we're talking about. The incre- the rapid, not for, since 1986, and the removal of immunity, or the, the, the immunity given to the companies making these things, for children specifically, you saw a, a dramatic increase in what they should take and a dramatic increase in all these problems that they pretend aren't connected. So autoimmune issues could very well just be a result of what we're talking about. Like so many other things, they've cl- blamed on you and your humanity. Natural autoimmune diseases cause significant disability and death, and it may be possible to engineer a disease that causes the body to turn on itself. Sounds like antibody-dependent enhancement. Mouse models for the stimulation of autoimmunity now exist. For example, experimental autoimmune encephalomyelitis, which mimics the symptoms of the human malady, multiple sclerosis, has been induced in mice by immunization with antigens that cause an immune response. Guys, that's undeniable. Not only is this possible, they're already doing it. Right there. In mice, they are giving them a, an antigen. They're, they're creating an immune response that leads to an autoimmune disorder. So whether that's an accidental clumsy issue, they just act, they, you know, malfeasance, whatever you want to call it, or it was an effort to for it to create an issue that could be called something caused by this or whatever you want to think about it, it's possible. Now, of course, we never want to pretend that these people are capable of such a terrible thing. But that if, right, if that's the way you think about it, then just recognize that people, they've made clumsy mistakes by letting things like this happen without knowing it many, many times. But I believe quite strongly many of those, most of those aren't actually mistakes. But either way you look at it, 
This is already, I mean, look, back in 2001, they are already testing this stuff on soldiers. Now, it says, normally such self-immunization is prevented by the mechanisms that ensure exclusion of antibodies and T-cells that are self-reactive. But some pathogens may present antigens that are similar enough to the body's own proteins that the original immune response spreads from the pathogen to the new human target. Research into checkpoint inhibitors compounds designed compounds designed to unleash the human immune system to eradicate tumors could also potentially inform efforts to purposely engineer autoimmunity. Oh, weird. Exactly what we're talking about and how they're talking about specifically injections tailored against things like tumors and cancer and everything else we're talking about. It is 100% possible, if not very clearly already happening, that they have the ability to make an injection that can cause autoimmunity, whether by accident or by intention. Often in the form of colitis. In addition, particular compounds have been shown to lead to an autoimmune disease of the liver. One potential route of attack could be to introduce such compounds via the microbiome, which basically is just what's the, the give you the exact definition, the stuff around you, the, the microorganisms in a particular environment. Finally, it says under usability of the technology under a medium concern, it is difficult to predict precisely the impact of engineering on a system as complex as the immune system, which again, they've been doing at this point from at this point, 17 years, 2018. We are only now beginning to more fully understand the mechanisms for how the immune system recognizes foreign antigens and many immune mechanisms, such as how immune memory guides future responses remain opaque. Let's pretend in a couple of years, they figured it all out, right? In addition, much of the research in this area is on animals. And the results do not necessarily map well to humans. Yeah, the, the plenty of things they never really figured out, such as the mRNA problem or the lipid nanoparticle toxicity that they just jumped. The, we did it. <laughs> not really. We can see that they didn't do it. Furthermore, while there has been an explosion of new research into the causes of autoimmunity, the onset of autoimmune disease remains idiosyncratic. Specifically, in idiosyncratic meaning relating to a particular to an individual. But the point is that that in and of itself seems to suggest that this is more focused on, this is sort of the correlation causation idea. I think what we're seeing is the fact that this is being caused by things that they're putting into the population. And we've seen that correlation with the rise of autoimmunity since the rise of these injections. And it would likely be difficult, they say, to create immunodulatory weapons capable of causing reliable effects in populations as genetically and immunologically diverse as the United States. Well, how interesting. Maybe that's what we're figuring out right now. In particular, while an immune deficiency virus pandemic has emerged naturally, or has it, or has it been something that's been clearly caused as the court, exactly my point, engineering the spread of immune deficiency is currently difficult to imagine. Well, I mean, you literally in one sentence seem to contradict yourself. In particular, while an immune deficiency virus pandemic has emerged naturally, (laughs) we're looking at it engineering the spread of the thing we're looking at seems hard to imagine. Well, not really when you simply read what you just discussed on how that's possible, how they're working on it, how they can achieve it. And just because they don't know exactly how it will turn out doesn't mean that they didn't just try it and see what happened. And maybe that's why we're seeing it happen with different populations and age groups. And this is an experiment. And I think we're very clear about that now. The failed clinical trial of anti-CD28 antibodies in which patients suffered life-threatening cytokine storms after receiving doses that were 500 times lower than those shown safe in mouse models, very interesting to today, offers another example. So 500 times lower was fatal for humans. Think about that. So these mice could take 500 times more. 
Although modeling studies indicated that the doses used would nearly saturate the T-cell population of a human, the dramatic outcomes highlight the potential for inadvertent immune hyperactivity, as well as the dual-use potential of immune modulation research. Great. So the fact that we're hurting people gives us an insight into how this works. Gee, that's exactly what I'm talking about. The concept of engineering a cytokine storm, especially in susceptible subpopulations, may become a concern when coupled with increasing knowledge of the immune system. For example, the growing knowledge of super antigens that hyperstimulate immunity could further increase the feasibility of such activities. Guys, that's exactly what I'm talking about. They are realizing what this can do and they're weaponizing it or already have. The continuing explosion of work in immunotherapy broadly could potentially create a roadmap for the development of immuno, uh, immunomodulatory weapons. As understanding of this phenomenon improves, and as the ability to engineer protein structures improves, look at that, the opportunities for creating synthetic simulacrum of antigens already known to be present in autoimmune diseases will increase. Not could, not may, will increase. Once, of course, their ability to engineer protein structures improves. Oh, well, here we are. We're, we're doing HIV clams and we're making all sorts of spike proteins. And we're making all sorts of protein, different viruses and vaccines. And yep, clearly they're on that path. So they're telling you once they get, once they, as that increases, well, so too will these problems. And here we are. Under potential for mitigation, there are also likely many unknown or undercharacterized pathogens that are currently biasing immune responsivity. These natural dynamics would make differentiating between natural and synthetic threats a considerable challenge. And I promise you that's exactly why this is being used. Right now, because of what we just said about the, about the, uh, the allergens that could be used, as they say, just the under-characterized under pathogens that are currently there that can cause this, which is what they'll point at. Sort of like now we're going, look at what's happening. And they go, HIV, is that what's happening? Or is it what they're causing with the injection? Different topic, obviously, but similar point. I guess it's not that different, to be quite honest. But it says these natural dynamics would make it difficult to, make, to, to be able to tell. How perfectly self-serving is that? It may be particularly daunting, particularly daunting, to identify the hand of a designer versus the opportunism of nature in a given epitope in a pathogen variant that leads to autoimmunity. Well, maybe that's exactly why we don't ever, they go, oh, we isolated it. No, you didn't. Maybe because it shows you something. There is a relatively level, high level of concern with regard to this factor. So even in this discussion, they're going, this concerns us as scientists, as doctors. And yeah, they're talking about the U.S. government research. It says the slow response to the AIDS epidemic, albeit almost 40 years ago, is a potential cautionary tale in this regard. Or, the beginning of this point. The current state of knowledge regarding immunity is such that it is likely far easier to craft an auto, excuse me, an immunomodulatory weapon than an effective response to one. Think about that. Even if good countermeasures could be crafted, their expense would likely be inordinate, especially for more general attacks on population immunity, basically saying that the response, even if made properly, is, is it's clearly undefined, <clears throat> clearly being shown based on the, the difference of populations, the difference of, you know, genetic, co everything, everything in front of you makes the actual treatment pretty damn obviously undefined at the very least, but impossible at the, you know, what's what they seem to be suggesting. But it's far easier for them just to craft a weapon from the same work. 
I mean, this is the scientific study. That this is what they're pointing at, guys. It's just incredible to me. But bringing this forward, so we're going from 2018, June, to June 27, 2018. DARPA wants to boost your body's defenses by tuning your genes. Well, same thing we're talking about. Now, it says, from vaccines to antidotes for drug poisoning, modern medicine has given us a lot of tools to protect us against health threats. But what if your genes could be harnessed to provide even better protection? Now, this is being framed for the average person now, you see. And what if this could be done on a temporary basis, giving your body's defenses a boost just when they need it without altering your genetic code? Right now, this could be something that was what we're being tested on, maybe being tested on now. Maybe this is what we tried to do and it went awry. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could look at this, but recognize nonetheless, it's the continuity of DARPA and their work on your immune system and how to manipulate it. This might sound far-fetched, they say, but a new program created by the DARP, the by DARPA aims to do just that. DARPA is, is the they basically, as you know, the group that makes the new advanced technologies for the military. The program will explore ways to better protect people against biological and chemical threats by temporarily tuning gene expression. In other words, turning genes on or off to strengthen the body's defense against health threats. Yeah, that's called genetic extinction technology, and that's alarming. It, regardless of how they frame it as good for you, the world spoke up and said, this is crazy, and we see what you're doing, and they just beat them out in the UN, which is what they do when they have complete control over the UN. In contrast to recent gene editing technologies like CRISPR, which focus on permanently changing the genome by cutting DNA and inserting new genes, the PREPARE program will concentrate on technologies that don't make permanent changes, they say, just like they promised with this, which turned out to be false. These technologies target the, I meant the injection I'm talking about when I said this, these technologies these techniques target the epigenome or the system that controls gene expression. That sounds great. Genes can be turned off or on by making external modifications to DNA. But they don't do you know, this like today. Oh, they don't change your DNA. That's exactly what's happening, which don't change the DNA sequence, but instead affect how cells read genes. That's just their sidestep of the point. Although the, the prepare program will focus on specific health threats at first. Here's our point. Ultimately, the goal of the program has always been, guys, to develop a platform with common components that can be adapted to a number of emerging health threats, the statement said. Shocking. I can't believe it all ties so perfectly together. It's the same point. The program is also working with bioethicists to identify and address potential ethical, legal, and societal issues that might be raised. I love how they just say that. Yeah. And we're also looking at these things. They don't say they care about them, do they? We're working with these groups to identify those things so we can ignore them, which is what happens. Well, interesting. So 2018, they're literally talking about how we can use this technology, which could be applied in biodefense and bio attack ways to help you. So we're at a point now where we could argue this maybe hasn't been used yet. If you want to pretend the AIDS HIV discussion wasn't part of that. Now, before we get into where I believe it was actually being applied, if not already before, I want to point out a timely example of what we already showed you, but interestingly timed to where this is happening now. This is 2018, right? Before COVID-19, but just as we really started to openly talk about how we're going to manipulate your body to help you stay healthy. And this is, whether we're talking about the nanotechnology side of it or just nanoparticle, we're talking about biomanipulation, right? Well, don't forget. There's been plenty of discussion. This is the most important one where they argued that compulsory moral bioenhancement should be covert. Well, August 29, 2018, right, just a couple months after this, 
as they say, if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, well, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt. Now, we're going to come back to this at the end, but I wanted to make sure you stated this so we keep the timeline going. This is when this happened. That we should just do it without them knowing because obviously that's best for everybody, right? Well, you could look at this as implantables, microchips, the nano dust, or whatever we're talking about, or just simply what we're discussing here. Biological manipulation of your body's immune system. Same idea. Now, is that already happening with these injections? Because they argued, well, we need to do it, and we shouldn't tell them because it's for their best interest. Well, that was an argument being made in 2018. Okay, well, let's skip on over to 2018, October. Okay, so we're going from August to October 2018. This is on The Last American Vagabond. Scientists accused DARPA of genetically modifying insects for bioweapons to spread agricultural viruses. Now, we've talked about this already. This is the insect allies conversation. But you, to see it in the time, in the context, or in the, the framing of the timeline is really interesting. Right before COVID-19. Now, this is discussing where they were using insects to apply the same exact technology. So back here, we're going, we're going to do this in your body and we're going to keep you safe from viruses, which by the way, never stopped. Now you can ask whether this is a a new adaptation to it, but ask why they just suddenly stopped talking about the first part of it or whether this is the application of the same argument from another angle because we got hip to what they were doing. Well, scientists did speak up around the world. Here's one example from The Independent. U.S. military plan to spread viruses using insects could create, <clears throat> quote, new class of biological weapon, scientists warn. Right. We, were, we weren't at the point yet where anybody challenging the narrative was all of a sudden an anti-science conspiracy theorist, but that, that today this person will be called an anti-science conspiracy theorist be, just because, by default. That's how stupid that is. These are people that were honestly standing up and pointing out the obvious scientifically verified reality that was even being called out by multiple countries and multiple efforts around the world. This is a bioweapons effort, as even science pointed out. Agricultural research or a new bioweapons system. Guys, everybody saw this. This is 2018, October. Now, this brings us to 2019. Now, first, I want to give a shout out to this article. I'm not, I'm very, I'm not familiar with whatever with the site this is. It looks like web.evilbio.mpg. I'm not, I, just, I don't know what this is, or it's a, a, a government, or you know, I'm not even sure what this is, but they got a lot of great information on here. The point I want to show you is the video that you can confirm for yourself, but there's also a lot of other interesting tying points in. There's like a, a timeline the same way in here that goes forward, insect allies, and it talks about what they're doing and what they've done since. It's really interesting, right? But just for the point of today, what I want to get into are these two videos. And then, and then also the point they point out, which I'm glad they did, about what this was actually leading to and the discussions that were actually had at the UN, at, at, the, at the, uh, uh, the UN panel. Literally discussing going viral, deliberately releasing GM viruses into the environment. This is not a joke. I'm surprised that I haven't seen this before. You'll see what I mean. Now, first, let's talk about back in 2019, the Insect Allies Program. And this is from Max Planck Society discussing this whole idea from a sort of a, you know, good and bad angle. Like it doesn't seem like they're really buying it, but they do kind of discuss it as it could be a good thing. And then we'll discuss where that went in 2020, which I find very relevant. Hmm, that's strange. During World War I, hundreds of thousands of people were killed or maimed by chemical weapons. 
After the war had finally ended, it seemed certain that this would be the future of warfare. But those who had seen the horrors wrought by chemical weapons worked hard to prevent their future use, destroying 97% of the world's stockpile. Now, just obviously, there's a lot of mainstream kind of stuff in here that I'm not necessarily agreeing with, right? Like, I, I, I do not believe for a second that the U.S. government did. It's verifiable. They did not do what they said they did. They continue to create and produce both chemical and biological weapons, which has been proven a thousand times over. They've got multiple locations around the world that are currently doing that. Again, they just hide behind making vaccines, at least in the biological angle, but also the chemical. But nonetheless, just follow along because the point is how this evolved. As a result, the world was made a safer place with the freedom to follow other pursuits. Chemical warfare was a frightening new idea, even at its inception. Which was by and large used by the very people that they that claimed the other people were doing so, right? We've seen that many times. But not all ideas appear sinister at first glance. Wartime technologies are often extensions of peaceful technology that already exists. This is an example of what is commonly called dual use. When new technologies are developed, we consider the many ways we intend to use them. But it is more important to consider the ways that others might use them, or even misuse them. Over the last 30 years, genetically modified viruses have successfully been used within contained laboratories. Soon, they could be used as a common therapy to treat cancer and a wide range of diseases. Genetically modified viruses are normal viruses that have had extra DNA added to them. This allows them to do things they could not have done before. Until today, scientists have not intentionally released genetically modified viruses into the environment. Until today. That, that, the point being, that happened in 2019. Yeah, let's pretend like that couldn't have been the impetus for literally everything we're talking about right now. Maybe that was where this all came from. And that's what spread from Fort Detrick and spread all around the United States and the spread over the military games and spread everywhere else. And they blamed it on China. Right, just one possibility. But obviously, my belief has been adapted to the idea that I think the China was very clearly involved with whatever was happening based on plenty of other factors. But just obviously think about that. 2019, they are talking about insect allies constantly. This is framed around the insect allies, but they're already stepping from that, which was my point. It was just a, it was just a couched idea. This is about how it applies to people. So they're using this to go, well, look, we discovered genetically modified viruses. Now that's 2019. That's right before all this. People didn't even know about this stuff before this. We, we, they acted like it was this new thing we're all going to succeed by using in the COVID era, even though they failed over and over and over to do it right before this and then just magically succeeded. Right? This is an alarming reality. This is genetic. Remember, genetically modified foods were an utter failure. Despite people still not really understanding that. I mean, it's weird that conversation just went away, isn't it? You know why? Because Bill Gates and his championing of this genetically modified foods action destroyed their food their food source. They are more food scarce in these places than they were before that whole push. Look this stuff up. We've been talking about it for a long time. And yet we're still allowing him and these people behind it to be pushing in what fake meat and genetically modified anything else. Why? Because everything before was such a success. Well, clearly not because there's an agenda behind this. Modified viruses have successfully been used within contained laboratories. Soon they could be used as a common therapy to treat cancer and a wide range of diseases. 
Genetically modified viruses are normal viruses that have had extra DNA added to them. This allows them to do things they could not have done before. Until today, scientists have not intentionally released genetically modified viruses into the environment, barring several tightly controlled exceptions. And also take note of the picture. What they're showing you right there is that they have been experimenting on animals. They have been experimenting on bugs and they have been experimenting on multiple levels of, of foliage, right? They are doing that. They've, they've tried to create plants that can produce chemicals, vaccines, all court, the antidepressants. I've talked about this for, for a decade now. Yeah. Who cares if that could accidentally alter our entire species or different plant species or, you know, who cares what might happen? Let's just test and find out because, you know, vaccines and drugs and industry, right? Of course, it's all for your best interest. That's how they frame this. The problem with any deliberate release is that in many cases, it is difficult to control where the viruses will end up. Exactly. But they did it anyway. We know of thousands of natural plant viruses, but none are known that can edit a plant's chromosomes. However, man-made viruses can be created to edit chromosomes across species. Because that's not dangerous at all, right? A new program called Insect Allies aims to use this kind of gene editing technology to help farmers and communities protect their crops. Until now, this technology has only been used indoors, but the military agency funding this program Darba. is interested in releasing it outside. Of course they are. While their idea is not new, it has never been done before. And this is the program that people were calling out as a bioweapons program. Scientists, doctors, United Nations. This is the re this is in real world stuff. This is we're at 2019 now. So clearly they weren't successful in stopping it. Farmers spend a lot of time worrying about how to protect the health of their crops from hazards. With insect allies, armies of insects would be infected with man-made viruses that are designed to directly target their crops. Armies of insects infected with man-made viruses. Yeah, that doesn't sound dangerous at all or something that could eventually spread. Like, I mean, just think of the possibility of whether or not something like this could have been tested then that literally ended up being what we're dealing with. Now, that's not necessarily what I think is happening based on other factors, but it's certainly possible. And it just, it's incredible that we don't put these things together. These are, they are manipulating things they don't understand. And that's been shown by the mistakes they cause and the things they cause or the things they hurt in this process, which this is why they're speaking up around the world and saying, you guys are doing dangerous research and you could potentially cause what? Unexpected consequences. But who cares? We can't think about that today. These viruses would be used to strengthen the plants against a wide selection of hazards. As a result, the main focus of this project is on viral dispersal. The insect allies themselves would only serve as viral vectors. For this plan to succeed, scientists would need to be prepared for anything. Exactly. Platforms. When the alarm sounds, they would need to quickly infect insects with the correct virus, transport them to farmers, and release them. The insects would then be able to distribute their infections to crops. This is the platform, right? This is the, the, the universal platform with like everything else they're trying to do back in 2019. To be useful in any capacity, all of this would require global infrastructure. It would need warehouses designed to house insects year round and staff to breed and maintain them. Right. These insects would also require insects year round. Now that's the important part right there. That already is them painting your global 
government kind of picture, right? There's no way you can have an, an, a, a program like this without coordination amongst all the amongst all the countries around the world. Then you have a coordinated viral, I guess, action task force that kicks into gear and produces these viral things that the moment's notice when they all say something's happening, right? That, that doesn't happen without the kind of infrastructure and the kind of control top down they're building right now. Let's pretend. Let's keep pretending like this was all because of COVID nineteen, right? This has been a plan long before this. And staff to breed and maintain them. These insects would also require safeguards that would prevent them living and breeding beyond their one-time use. Yeah, safeguards that have already failed in the last times they tried this with mosquitoes. Derek has written about this many times for T Lab and for Conscious Resistance. They failed at this, which they put out the mosquitoes, and it ends up doing the opposite, or so on. Right. That's Bill Gates has been around one of those, the genetic mosquito, genetically modified mosquito efforts. That's what we're talking about. That's already happened more than once. Maybe that's what caused something. Who knows? Because nobody wants to ask these questions. Without these kill switches, there would be a risk of the virus mutating and spreading as pathogens tend to do. Exactly. Unfortunately, it is still unclear how the spread of a genetically modified virus would be controlled. Well, not really. It I think we're seeing it happen, and it, it's not being. <laughs> I think that's the point. Should we be worried? The designers of the Insect Allies program claim that they can greatly assist farmers in protecting their crops, much to everyone's benefit. However, this kind of technology can easily be used to sabotage and control access to resources on a local or global scale. Exactly. Right now. Scientists are hard at work to safely develop insect allies. Now think about things like Syria or Venezuela or Yemen or places that are being actively starved to death so they can achieve their political goals from the angle of the United States government, right? Well, wouldn't this be something that could be applied to starve them, to affect their population, their food source? That's happening all over the place. Iran has been calling out things like this forever, like or things like weather manipulation, which we all should know Airy obviously is easily done today, yet we still we point at it like a conspiracy theory because they won't let you talk about it. I mean, you could prove with in 30 seconds that they're capable of manipulating the weather. It's very easy with things from the ground, with things they can put in the sky. I mean, this has been technology that's been shown forever. They're openly saying they're doing it today to fight climate change, yet when you talk about it in that context, you conspiracy theorists. No, they're actively using these things to hurt their enemies because that's the kind of people they are. Even though those people, you know, enemies are just people that are politically not, that don't do what they want them to do. This is alarming stuff that's been used already, and I think that's important to understand. They are using multitudes of kill switches to prevent unintended outbreaks. But is this enough? With the appropriate resources, it would be easy for anyone to turn off these safeguards and cause a deliberate outbreak. Yep. This would create a new and highly targetable form of biological weapon one that is undetectable and untraceable. It can be hard to predict the future. Just, just resonate on that point for a minute. This happened, right? Let's, let's make sure we're clear about that. This happened. That's why they said until now. This already got released. And look, look at what they just said, right? In the chat, talking about ticks, right? That Lyme disease, con that, that is another form of this bioweapon experimentation. Dr. Boyle said the same thing. But just think about what they just said undetectable. We already discussed that in the science where they said, why? Using allergens or whatever else, it becomes indistinguishable. You cannot tell. Now, now think about the vaccine and the injections and what they're causing and the, the, the people doing the autopsy. And they go, well, we don't know. 
we, there's no indication. Therefore, we don't, we're going to dismiss it because we don't know. Isn't that interesting to correlate to this? You can't tell. I just, it's incredible to me that we don't ask that question. Now, for those that want, are talking about the, you know, this doesn't exist, it's never there, or maybe even viruses don't exist, which are totally valid points and questions to ask. This could be, you know, don't dismiss this out of hand because you hear that bioweapon and you think bioweapon associates with what you think is being proven not to be true. Just, it's just a term, right? Think about how this could be applied and what this could mean, whether we're talking bacteria or whatever else, with these bugs that could spread something, that could cause something that then gets pointed at as what they claim the hypothetical thing in the world is causing, right? So it's almost like it's proving that same point. You just have to think about how this could have already been applied and how they just told you that it's untraceable. Think about the untraceable cases we saw in the beginning of this, like that popped up in Iran, where they said, we don't, there's no provable track. That never happens. I mean, I shouldn't say never, but the point is almost always they can find it and trace it back. They said it just popped out of nowhere in the middle of Iran, and it was highly virulent, way worse than the places around it. And that, that kicked over into Italy because there was a genetic connection there, and that seemed to stay right there. Isn't that weird? There's more happening here than we realize. Today's technologies can become tomorrow's weapons. So... Knowing all of this, do we really want to go viral? And what can we do to control its possible use? Interesting. I, you know, so I, as much as they were going a little mainstream in the beginning, I mean, they, clearly they're challenging this, you know, saying that this doesn't seem like a good idea. Now, in this, there's a lot of uh, links to webs like a UN website of the supposed... Um, right here of these the panel which is real but what's funny when i say suppose you click on it and it takes you to this way back the page that doesn't seem to be there anymore except for the way back machine and all the links go to other things and it's just it's obvious this is trying to be removed you know this isn't easy to track down the un panel itself ends up oh, i'll just show you real quickly it ends up going to that's see that you can see the url that's what it's supposed to go to and then it redirects back to this general united nations page this is just a home page for disarmament right that's not that, that why where's the panel Where's the panel talking about these things? Isn't that weird? This stuff is being actively removed, like the links to the, like I discussed about the links here to the to the main study about exactly this kind of thing that could reduce immunity and cause disease. Suddenly the study is just gone. Anyway, my point is this very definitely happened here, as I'm glad I found, from the disarm, disarmament.ch page. This is Geneva Disarmament Platform. And here's the time. What's weird is the links don't seem to work. But what you will find is this was a this was a planned talking point, and you can find even the bioweapons convention meetings expert link to Switzerland, Switzerland, Geneva, talking about quote deliberately releasing genetically modified viruses into the environment. Let's make very clear on October, August second, two thousand nineteen. This is Geneva, Switzerland, United Nations. They're talking about this discussion. Now, if you do your digging, you can find the links to the panel. If you like, just basically take this link. And do the way back machine, but it ends up being the links that in of themselves go to other pay. The point is, you can see this was a panel and it did happen. And this is what they were discussing. You can see it right there. And here's the Geneva platform making that clear as well. Now, here, just to make that even more clear, is the extension of that conversation in 2020. Now, this is where it becomes undeniable how this crosses over into the COVID 19 territory. So, what's interesting before I go there is we're talking about doing this insect allies, but maybe in the future, right? Well, now we're jumping over into the argument, by the way, which has already happened of in 2020, actually doing this or rather just discussing it, not for genetic, not for bugs, but for using 
GM viruses to spread, guess what, guys, vaccines from person to person without their informed consent, you know, for your best interest. August 2011, 2020, this is on ESFO Euroscience Open Forum. Check this out. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases by Johns Hopkins and plenty of others, I've shown you the documentation, is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine. Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. Okay, so remember, those were already being used, right? So regulatory approval process or not doesn't mean anything because it was already being used and tested in the world. That's what this is a very clear reality. We already know GM mosquitoes have been released. It's already happening. So all they're saying is, let's look at all these other applications. Okay, so 2020, they're talking about using GM spreadable, infectable in viruses to spread vaccines. What happened? What was the resolution? Did they talk about it? Did they vote on it? Or did it just happen? Did they just decide that it was in your best interest to do it? It's a question we should ask. However... Do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? Is this a forward march of science or a mistake? Join our live event at the 2020 Euroscience Open Forum to explore these questions using recent real-world examples. Our there's there's the point. Just so we just so we can make sure this is a very valid thing that's not going to be dismissed, which it probably will be anyway, because the people that dismiss this won't watch the show. They'll just dismiss it because they've already decided it's fake news, because that's what Rachel Maddow told them. But going viral right in front of you, Euroscience Open Forum. They got they gathered and discussed intentional dispersion of genetically modified viruses outside of contained facilities for the sole purpose of of spreading vaccination. This is 2020. September, we are talking about a time when they were already aware of COVID-19. Now, recognize how this dropped off the conversation. That does not mean that they did not do something with it. I think that's where this is the bulk of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the part I want to show, too. Explore these questions using recent real-world examples. Our panel of biologists, social scientists, policy experts, and ethicists will provide their insights. Yeah, you know, just recognizing big, big places, big names. Like this is not some fringe concept. University of Southern California, University of Cape Town, King's Lund College London, London School of Hygiene and Topical Medicine, the Vaccine Confidence Project. Like my argument would be that all of these people came and said, this is important and we should do it. But who knows? Because we don't get to find out. Respond to your questions. Find out more and join the debate in our panel at the 2020 Euroscience Open Forum. Okay. Well, so now that we've established this is very clearly something that was already happening and very clearly something that was already being driven into the concept of some, a self-spreading vaccine, because exactly what that is, that Johns Hopkins has already talked about in 2020 as well in their own documentation about why that's something we should consider. Like, let's ask the question, guys. Is that not something that's already happening? or already had been happening, and is now causing the problem. The fact that we can't ask these questions shows you the real problem. 
Now, here is the obvious example of where this has gone. This is 2020, June 25th. This is Whitney Webb writing Eco Genocide and the Genetically Engineered Mosquito Army. Right? This wasn't in the context of COVID-19. They were doing this during this situation for other reasons. And this was genetically modified insects. This is insect allies. That's what this is in a different angle. And yet, nonetheless, we're talking about bugs that could spread this as they just talked about if they didn't do it properly or if they did it intentionally, that could then create the spread of an outbreak of something that would continue to go on. And guys, why wouldn't that be a possibility? This is the last point before we wrap this up. Washington Post. As of July 30th, 2020, how a secretive Pentagon agency seeded the ground for a rapid coronavirus cure. It all comes together. And you know who they're talking about? DARPA, as well as the NIH in general working in this group. But the point is that DARPA very clearly, and you can read this for yourself, transitioned all of this research into a cure for coronavirus. The scientists were looking, were working through the night over the weekend in February in their Vancouver offices, running a blood samples, trying to work this out. The mission was part of a program under the Pentagon's Secretive Technology Research Agency. That's DARPA. The goal? To find a way to produce antibodies for any virus in the world within 60 days of collecting a blood sample. Yes, that is the exact same thing we're talking about from back in 2001. They're creating a platform that can create immunity specifically or broadly, for whatever they want to aim it at. And, and, and that went through insect allies. That went through this aggressive focus on all sorts of other technologies. They discussed a time where they're like, maybe we should just do it secretly because it's probably the best thing to do. We talked about insect allies where they're talking about using this and it could be used as a weapon. The rest of the world recognize that. We can see them framing it as the very thing we're talking about, using it for vaccine spread. And we see Gates and other people doing this with genetic modified uh, uh, mosquitoes and other bugs. And then on a dime, we transition it into coronavirus injections. This is not a secret. It's just not talked about. Now, here again was the main point before we wrap up with the last two things about why that's what I think is happening right now with this transition. But just ask yourself in 2018, right before this started, if this is not the most relevant point about what may be happening. As it says, well, for, I'll just read the first part too. Some theorists, which is obviously like conspiracy theorists, argue that moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory. I guess it wouldn't be conspiracy if that's their argument. But anyway, it says, I take this argument one step further, arguing that if moral bioenhancement, which is, by the way, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be. Anyway, if moral bioenhancement ought to be compulsory, which is what they're arguing, then its administration ought to be covert rather than overt, meaning done without your knowledge. Maybe in an injection, maybe spread from with smart dust from a plane, maybe just I don't know, done in any in your water. There's a thousand ways this could be done. Of course, all that's just real stupid conspiracy theory to all the people that don't want to acknowledge how obvious this is in their face. Because I'm not saying I know for sure what's happening, do I? Or am I? But my gut would tell me based on everything we see that it's a very valid question and very possible. It is morally preferable, he says, for compulsory my moral bioenhancement, which that, that was my point. I don't know how you can put compulsory and moral bioenhancement together to be administered without the recipients knowing that they are receiving the enhancements. Now, this could be talking about implantables or whatever else, as well as just simply altering your immune system to fight things a certain way. I argue, this person says, that the covert administration of a compulsory moral bioenhancement program, this is exactly what we just discussed, better conforms to public health ethics than does an overt compulsory program. Really? 
This is the craziest part to me. This is their bending over backwards mental gymnastics. In particular, a secret covert compulsory program actually, in his mind, promotes the values such as liberty, utility, equity, and autonomy better than an overt program does. Why? I guess they don't really explain that. It says, thus, a covert compulsory moral bioenhancement program is morally preferable to an overt moral bioenhancement. Of course, are all of the moral, of course. Their point is, because we start from the premise that these are inherently what we all need, therefore we should do it without your knowledge because you're too stupid to understand it's good for you. That's what that says. And here we are, 2022. Three months to three years to flatten the curve as we're watching this stuff roll out and people continue to get hurt. I wonder if this is where we already are and they're reeling to try to cover up their problems. But to finish, I want to point to some really important stuff that was written by Whitney as well. May 4th, 2020. Coronavirus gives a dangerous boost to DARPA's darkest agenda. There's a lot in here that's very important, but I want to focus on the direction this all clearly seems to be going. Don't forget about the discussion, and this is just takes it a step further. Right? We're already talking about the insect allies and the immune system-focused bioweapons, which is very clearly what this is, and whether or not that's what's happening to people right now. But the next step, the nanotechnology, the, the technocratic future, they are already and have already been working on what are called in vivo nano platforms. Now, maybe you could argue that's already something that's been inside stuff we're using. That's something which should be asked with what they've already done before. And I'm not saying I can prove that. But in 2006, DARPA announced its Predicting Health and Disease Program, Medical Pre-Crime, which sought to determine, quote, whether an individual will develop an infectious disease prior to the onset of symptoms. Well, how do they do that? By implanting nanotechnology and platforms in your body that can detect that for your safety, of course. Quote, investigates technology that incorporate implantable nano platforms composed of biocompatible non-toxic materials in vivo in your body, sensing of, of small and large molecules of biological interests, multiplex detection of analytes that at um, critic, clinically relevant concentrations, and external interrogation of the nano platforms without using implanted electronics for communication, meaning they can be somewhere else in the world and be able to interrogate, manipulate, trigger responses from the platform in your body. Sort of like the smart dust we've already talked about that can be done from other locations. That's alarming. And of course, if you stated that even in part anywhere on the Twitter sphere, you would be a conspiracy theorist because that's such dumb conspiracy theory, obviously, as they make it in front of you, right? It would be. They would dismiss this as crazy town. Living Foundries goes a step further. According to DARPA's website, Living Foundries, quote, aim to enable adaptable, scalable, and on-demand production of synthetic molecules. Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? By programming the fundamental metab met metabolic processes of biological systems. Well, this might as well be the same immune system focus. To generate a vast number of complex molecules that are not otherwise accessible. Through Living Foundries, DARPA is transforming synthetic biomanufacturing into a predictable engineering practice supportive of a broad range of national security objectives. Great. Now ask yourself if this is happening inside your body right now. The types of research this Living Foundries program supports involves the creation of artificial life, including the creation of artificial genetic material, including artificial chromosomes, the creation of, quote, entirely new organisms and using artificial genetic material to, quote, add new capacities to human beings. Well, there's your transhumanist direction that they're already telling you they want to go. Read Klaus Schwab's book. That's where they're going. 
It's very clear. If you want to dismiss it as fake news, I guess you can't read. I.e., genetically modifying humans through the insertion of synthetically created genetic material. Well, that is exactly what we're doing today. And finally, the other article from January 30th, 2020, Bats, Genetic Editing, and Bioweapons. Recent DARPA experiments raise concerns amid coronavirus outbreak. Now, there's also a lot in here you should look at, but the one point I want to make just to wrap this up is let's not forget who ultimately ended up funding the very first three, in fact, injections that were used for COVID-19, DARPA. DARPA and its partners chosen to develop coronavirus vaccines. So there's your connection about whether or not that was the first step that was taken. And guess what one of those injections is? Moderna. The one they just approved, by the way. Moderna's coronavirus vaccine shows encouraging early results. This was funded entirely by DARPA to start, right? This, this is one, the, one, the first example coming from CEPI, coming from the Bill and the Gates Foundation, the whole concept of the connections therein. One of the other ones, which is also funded by the Bill and the Gates Foundation, was this one here. The point is there were three different ones that started this out and they were funded by DARPA. Now, is that the extension of this program? Is that them taking all of the stuff we just discussed and rolling that into the rapid coronavirus cure and applying the same technology? I think this is pretty obvious to see. Now the real question becomes, what is the result of that, right? Where did this lead? As this was rolled into and then clearly given to people in the population, what did that then lead to? I'm not saying I have all the answers, but what I am saying is that what we have in front of us is more than enough to ask these questions and not have them regarded as ridiculous conspiracy theory. Because it seems to me this was an aggressive push to create exactly what might be happening now, even in regard to the HIV immune suppression concept. Maybe it got out of hand. Maybe this is what they wanted to happen. Either way, maybe it's an experiment happening in real time. Or maybe I'm completely wrong. The point is that this is something that should be allowed to be discussed. Because of how obviously we just showed that there's relevant points to be made. And now people around the world were saying, no, this is dangerous. Don't let them do this. It could cause an outbreak. And here we are. Just one angle, guys. Right? Everything else we talked about before. There's a lot of different ways to put this. It's about being objective and continuing to question even what you think may be happening. Because as we always know, these things very, very rarely tend to end up with all the answers being displayed because 9-11, JFK, however long you want to look back, they will forever pretend like you're just a conspiracy theorist and incorrect, regardless of how much we very clearly know they were responsible for these things. It's just about finding the answers and being able to inform others about their ability to critically digest these things and ask these questions. And that's what they're most afraid of. Now, where this goes from here is the real question, because right now we're in a really dangerous situation, I believe, where this is already, we're already, they've already opened the Pandora's box here, and maybe they're learning from that, or maybe they're trying to reel, trying to run from their problems. Who knows how this ultimately goes, but nonetheless, we need to do everything we can to stop this from getting worse, because that's what's going to happen, guys. Like all the rest of them told you, Ryan Cole and everybody else, even Fauci talking about what could happen in the future, telling you that's a bad thing, and then now acting like it's completely conspiracy theory. They all know what's going on to some degree, and they're just desperate to keep it from you and pretend like it's those of us out here that haven't gotten injections, taking no action, or somehow causing all the problems that their own documentation has shown is connected at the very least to the very things they're working on. But it's all conspiracy theory. You know how that goes. Thank you for being critical thinkers. You're making me, keeping me sane. I love you all. Watch this clip all the way out as I played before, because it's obviously very relevant to the how this has developed into where we are now. I love you all, as always. Question everything.
come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Today, the job of building this nation geographically is completed. There are no new frontiers within our borders. So, to what new horizons can we look now? Where are tomorrow's opportunities? What's ahead for you, for your children? The frontiers of the future are not on any map. They are in the test tubes and laboratories of the great industries. The Jacobardi case was one of the great judicial moments in world history. And the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric and Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. They said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this, quote, invention, and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turn down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. And they said, this microbe looks more like a detergent or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief. If you allow the patent on this microbe, we argued, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being. We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome, but what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race 
by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on. If this goes unchallenged in the world community, within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're going to have people who believe, look, life is simply utility. It's commercial fare. And they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology.